This morning's scripture reading will be read from 1 Timothy 3.15. 1 Timothy 3.15. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. We're thankful for the opportunity to be together today to worship God, to enjoy Christian fellowship. We're going to be talking today about the strength of the church is her membership. <clears throat> For the last couple of Sundays, we have talked about the eldership, the responsibilities that God has placed on them, and then the obligations that rest on us as members. And today we want to think for a moment or two about the membership. And really when you begin to look at what the Bible has to say, the only conclusion that you can come to is that the church is only as strong as her membership. All of us make up the church of our Lord. And when you look at the New Testament and you think about the church and the various congregations that are spoken of, I think about Revelation chapters 2 and 3. In those two chapters, there are some congregations that were applauded for their efforts. They were strong and steadfast. There were some that were censored because they had some things that needed to be straightened out. And so the bottom line is this. There are strong churches and there are weak churches. There are living churches, there are dying churches, and there are dead churches. We want to be a strong and faithful congregation. We want to be what the Lord wants us to be, a shining light for good in this community. We want to do everything that we can to exalt the name of Christ and to live in such a way so that we bring honor and glory to the name of God. And so today I want, I want to think with you for just a moment or two about our role in making the church strong. And when I talk about our role, the idea is it's inclusive. It includes all of us, elders, deacons, preachers, teachers, song leaders, every member. We are what, make, we are what ultimately makes this church strong. And so... The first, the first thing I want to call attention to, the privilege of worshiping the Lord because there are two things that I think we need to consider as they relate to the strength of a congregation. The first would have to do with our worship. The second, our work. And so what about the privilege of worshiping the Lord? I want to begin by talking about the requisites of worship. And there are really three basic things that I would share with you along these lines. First, we think about the proper aim of worship. That would be God. God is the one that is to be glorified in all things. The psalmist said, oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, in Psalm 95 at verse 6. Jesus said, God is spirit, and they that worship him that is, he is the object or the aim of our worship. Sometimes people forget that, but when we come together on the first day of the week, we come with the purpose of glorifying Almighty God. And then there is the proper attitude that must be present in worship. 
Again, Jesus said, God is spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. When we talk about worshiping God in spirit, we're talking about having the right attitude. Our heart, our mind in tune to the will of God. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, the writer talks about offering unto God the sacrifice of praise, that is, the fruit of our lips. And so it is in worship that we bow, that inward man is bowing in the presence of God and engaging in the acts of worship. The third thing that I would call attention to, the authority of worship. Our authority for worship is found in the Bible. Again, Jesus said, God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. When we talk about truth, we're simply emphasizing the gospel, the word of God. Paul would say, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, it is the authority of Christ to which we appeal for our worship to God. But now I want, to, I want you to think with me for just a moment or two about some viable reasons why we ought to want to worship the Lord. And what I've done, and you may have a copy of the outline of the lesson, if not, I would encourage you to take a copy. And this is by no means an exhaustive list of some reasons why we ought to want to worship God. But I've tried to give some very viable reasons why we as the people of God ought to want to be present every time the doors are open. And so let me just give you some reasons why I think worship is so important. And as we think about this, I want you to just step back and reflect for a minute. I know there are a lot of people that question why it's so important to come together to worship God on a regular basis. Sadly, there are some that are not present this morning. They are not here because of sickness, illness, or some other viable reason. They're here because they have chosen not to be here. That's unfortunate. It's unfortunate that some people do not come, do not see the importance of coming. And I believe that the Bible teaches that we ought to want to be together, that we ought to be here every time the doors are open, and that when we are not here, well, we are really the loser. And so with that in mind, let me just cite for you some reasons. Number one, I would submit unto you that we ought to, we ought to want to attend worship because it is the will of God. I want to just stop there and make this statement. If there were no other reason, that ought to be reason enough. Worship is a command of Almighty God. The Lord wants us to worship him. He desires our worship. Again, think about what Jesus said in John 4, 24. God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. In verse 23, Jesus said, For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God desires our worship. When we choose not to come, how do you think that makes God feel? What it says is, worship is not important. My relationship to God is not important. My presence is not important. And then in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, the writer said, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. 
In the first century, there were some people that were obviously not attending worship services. They were the losers. Well, the same is true today. Secondly, let me suggest that it is a manifestation of hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter five, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. When we choose not to come to worship, what we are saying is we are not hungering for spiritual things. When people attend worship, when they come to Bible study, what they are saying by their mere presence is it's important. That there is this vacuum or void in my heart, in my life, that can only be filled by spiritual things. Thirdly, it is an aid to spiritual growth. Peter said, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. If we're not here every time the saints meet, then we rob ourselves of the opportunity to grow spiritually. The Lord desires that I grow spiritually, that I be what I ought to be in his kingdom. In Hebrews chapter five, one of the problems that the writer addressed in the long ago, people were not growing as they should have been. He said, for when by reason of time you ought to be teachers, you have need that someone teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. The bottom line is that when you look back at the early church and you look at these Hebrew Christians, they should have been growing and maturing as children of God and they were not. When we are not here, we rob ourselves of the opportunity of growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then fourthly, I believe that worship helps us to develop a heavenly mindset. The Bible talks about how we as the people of God ought to set our affection, our mind on things above and not on things which are upon this earth. One of the real challenges that we face in this world is developing the mind of Christ and having a heavenly mindset. Paul would say in Romans chapter 12 verse one, and two, that we are not to be conformed to the world, but rather we are to be transformed. Now, in Philippians chapter three, the apostle Paul would speak of those who have their minds set on earthly things. He said they mind earthly things. But in contrast to that, he said, our citizenship, our commonwealth is in heaven. Whence also we wait for a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Worship enables us enables us to see more clearly where our home lies. Our home is not here on this earth. Our treasures are not on this earth. But ultimately, they reside in heaven. That's what we aspire for, to one day be home with the Lord in heaven. And then let me suggest, fifth, fifthly, that worship is a combatant to the allurements of the world. Look around in the world. Is it not the case that the devil uses the world to entice and allure us? The answer is yes. John talks about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And he said, these things are not of the Father, 
but are of the world. The world is glamorized, and there are a lot of people in, in, in our society today, they have put all their eggs in one basket. That one basket is the world. And the devil is trying to subvert our faith. The devil is trying to get us to take the bait. Paul would say, neither give place to the devil. Think about this for a minute. When we come together on Sunday morning, we spend 45 minutes in Bible class. We spend one hour in corporate worship. Sunday evening, we spend one hour together in worship. Wednesday night, again, one hour. Now compare that to time outside in the world. The world will beat us down. The world beats us down on a daily basis. To me, I need the strength and the encouragement that I get from being with the people of God. I need to see clearly what the world is all about. When you spend time in the world, it's easy to get distorted in your perception. And so worship affords us the opportunity to combat the allurements of the world. Paul would say we are not ignorant of the devices of the devil. What the devil wants is you to just say it's not important. It's not important for me to be at worship. It's not important for me to be in Bible class. It doesn't matter. I mean, after all, you love the Lord and you're trying to do what's right. So your presence is not needed. That's false. You need to be here because it helps you. It helps you to grow spiritually. It helps you to combat the allurements of the world. And then I believe allied to this, a sixth reason. It gives us strength to fight the devil. We have to have spiritual strength. We are engaged in warfare. We may not know it, but the Bible says, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on life eternal. Paul would talk about warring a good warfare. We are at war in this world. The enemy is the devil. The apostle Peter said, be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Now in verse nine, he would say, whom withstand steadfast in the faith. One of the great, one of the great privileges of being together in worship and Bible study is that I can see clearly the tactics of the devil. And I can equip myself to fight him. I can withstand his advancements. Let me give you a seventh reason. We ought to want to be in worship because it affords us the opportunity to be among the best people in the world, God's people. Peter talks about in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, that we are people of like precious faith. I want to be among good people. Think of all of the blessings that we enjoy as a result of our Christian fellowship. Think of what it means to be with people that we love, that we care about. Think of the blessings that, that we enjoy by being around people that think like we do, that have the same goals and aspirations that we do that want to go to heaven, 
Look around. There are a lot of people in the world, they say, I want to go to heaven, but they're not doing anything to get there. They're not living like they want to go to heaven. The world is saying, you don't need the Lord. You don't need the church. And God is saying, you need me. You need the church. You need worship. You need Bible study. Let me give you another reason. Worship, I believe, picks us up when we are down. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, the writer talks about those who were forsaking the assembling of the saints. And he said, in that context, but exhorting one another. Did you know that we are encouraged by being together? I mean, you just think about this. You are among the people of God. As the people of God, we can encourage one another. We can talk about some of the things that we face in this world. We can talk about our trying times, our difficulties, our trials, our temptations. We can lay all of that before our brothers and sisters in Christ. We can take it before the throne of God. And we have the assurance that he will help us. I think about people that come to worship and they've been beaten down by the world. They've been tempted and tried and tested day in and day out and they come in as if they've been beaten to a pulp. But when they walk out, they know the one who is standing beside them. They know about the one who cares for them. They know about the promises contained in scripture where the Lord said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. They are mindful of the passages of scripture that read, casting all your care on him for he cares for you. They are mindful of what the Hebrew writer said when he exhorted us to draw nigh unto the throne of God that we may receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. Let me tell you what, worship will build us up, <clears throat> builds our faith. And then I would say in closing, it leads us to a proper perspective of life. I want to ask you a question. If you were to poll people in our world today, just think about randomly talking to people in the Mid-South area. If you were to ask them, what is life all about? What do you think they would say? I would imagine there are a lot of people in our world today, they have no idea what life is all about. Those of us who come to worship, we understand, number one, we know where we came from. We came from God. We're not questioning that. There are a lot of people in the world, in the media, they ask, where did we come from? They say evolution. They say some big bang explosion is what catapulted us into a human being. That doesn't make any sense to me. So they question, where did we come from? They question, what are we doing here? Did you know that Solomon addressed that? He said, this is the whole duty of man, fear God, keep his commandments. In other words, this is man's all, to live for God, to glorify him, to live in such a way so that one day we can go home to be with him in, in eternity. So we know where we've come from, we know what we're doing here, and we know where we're going. Worship enables us to see that clearly. And I promise you this, the older you get in this life, the more precious 
these principles become. We talk about having a proper perspective to life. Let me tell you what, as you grow older, to me, eternity and the things of God, they loom heavily on our mind. Now, secondly, let me talk to you for just a minute about the privilege of working for the Lord. First of all, I would call attention to the role of those of us who are workers in the Lord. Did you know that the Bible tells us we have been created in Christ Jesus unto good works? That the Lord desires that we work in his kingdom? For example, in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus would say, well done, good and faithful servant. The Lord came to serve. He wants us to serve. He wants us to be busy, to be productive. Paul would say in Titus chapter 2 and verse 14 that we are to be zealous of good works. In chapter 3 verse 1 of that same book, he would say we are to be ready unto every good work. In other words, we are to be sitting on go, ready to work for the kingdom of God. We sing a song sometimes, I will work till Jesus comes. And that's what, we ought, that, that's what we ought to manifest every day. We'll work till Jesus comes or death intervenes. Now, think with me for just a moment or two about why we ought to want to work in the Lord. You see, I believe that the Lord has created us for the purpose of working in his kingdom. But why should we, as his people, want to work in his kingdom? Why should we want to be faithful workers in the Lord? Number one, it's commanded by God. I mean, again, we talked just a moment ago about why we ought to worship God. Well, here's why we ought to worship God, because it's a command. Why should we want to work for the Lord? Because it is a command. You do not ever read of a New Testament Christian who was idle or complacent and pleasing in the eyes of Almighty God. In Matthew chapter 20 at verse 6, Jesus asked this question, why do you stand here idle all day? Now I said just a minute, minute ago, it is important for us to be present in worship. But there, there is a lot more to Christianity than just worship. There is a lot more to Christianity than just coming to the services of the church and filling a pew on Sunday morning or Sunday night or Wednesday night. We enter to worship. We leave to serve. That's what Christianity is about, serving the Lord. I said just a minute ago that it's commanded by God. The Lord wants us. He expects us to be worshiping in his kingdom and to be working in his kingdom. If you look at Revelation chapter 3, you'll read about the church at Laodicea. When you look at that congregation, one of, the, one of the things that just stands out is this. The Lord did not have one positive thing to say about them, not one. You look at the other congregations, two of those churches, only positive things were said, nothing negative. The other four, good and bad. Laodicea, not one positive thing. You know why? Because they were lukewarm. They were apathetic. They were complacent. In other words, they weren't doing anything. 
They were dead, dead as they could be. Now we talk about being a worker for the Lord. Those who want to be workers for the Lord do so because they understand that's what the Lord wants. That's what pleases the Lord. Secondly, did you know that our work in the kingdom is a means of bring, bringing glory to God? If we're not working and laboring in the kingdom of God, we can't bring God glory. That's one of the ways he's glorified. Jesus said in John 15, 8, Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. In Matthew 5, 16, Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. The works that I engage in, whether it be trying to encourage a brother or sister who is having troubles, whether it be comforting those who have lost loved ones, whether it be administering need to those who are in need, whatever it may be, I'm doing that not for my own personal praise, not so that I'll draw attraction or attention rather to me, but I'm doing it so that God in heaven can be glorified. Where is God glorified? In the church, by the church, Ephesians 3.21. Paul said, unto him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ. So we bring honor and glory to God when we work in the kingdom. Let me give you a third reason. It is Christ-like. Listen to what Paul said in Philippians chapter two. When Jesus came to earth, was he a king? Was, was he to be a king? Absolutely. But the Bible says he took upon himself the role of a servant. Jesus came to serve. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2 that we are to follow in his steps. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Be imitators of me, even as I also am of Christ. Jesus came to serve the human family. He did serve the human family. What is it he expects from me? Let me borrow the, word, let me borrow the words of the Lord. Go and do likewise. He expects me to serve because in so doing, I demonstrate his life in my life. Number four. I believe we ought to be workers in the kingdom because it provides us an opportunity to serve our fellow man. Read the gospel narratives. Go back and read again Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There are a lot of things that stand out about the life of Jesus, but let me tell you what really strikes me. Look at how often, look at how frequently Jesus ministered or served the needs of other people. You remember what Jesus said? It is more blessed to give than to receive. Jesus was a giver. We live in a day and time when people today, they're not so much interested in giving. What they want to be is the receiver. There are a lot of people in the world, in the world today. There are a lot of people in the church. They're not looking for a congregation where they can serve. They're looking for a congregation that will serve them. Well, we need to serve our fellow man. Jesus did that, and he wants us to do that. In Galatians 6.2, Paul said, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. In verse 10, he would say, Let us, as we have opportunity, do good unto all men, especially them which are the household of faith. So we have those opportunities to serve other people. 
Number five, it is a demonstration of my faith. James chapter two. James would say, show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. As a worker in the kingdom of God, what am I demonstrating? I'm demonstrating that I have tremendous faith in Almighty God, that I have faith in the Lord and in his work, that I understand what my purpose is here on, on planet Earth, that I understand my role in the kingdom, that I'm here to serve, I'm here to work. And then finally, it opens the doors to minister in the name of Jesus. I said a minute ago that when we engage in the various works of the church, we're not doing that to draw attention to ourselves. What we're really trying to do is to draw attention to Christ. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus talked about ministering to others in his name. He said, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was sick and in prison and you visited me. And those on the right hand cried out and said, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or naked or sick and in prison? And Jesus said, inasmuch as you did it unto one of these least of my children, you did it unto me. We have the opportunity to minister in the name of King Jesus. What a great opportunity we have. I want to close by saying this. I have tried to give what I believe to be viable reasons why we ought to worship God and why we ought to work in the kingdom of God. In closing, there are a lot of things that I could say, but let me just share with you this. I have talked to people who are now much older in life. And sometimes aged parents will lament to me the fact that they weren't faithful when their children were young. They weren't faithful in worship. They weren't involved in the work of the church. Please listen very carefully. Their children today are not faithful. Their grandchildren know nothing about New Testament Christianity or much of a semblance of New Testament Christianity. They agonize over that. We may not think it's important, but let me tell you, there are a lot of people that have had that proverbial wake-up call in the sunset years of their life. And they have, come, they have come to realize what a grave mistake they made. As a parent, parent to parent, or parent to grandparents, I promise you the devil is after your children. The devil wants to destroy the lives of your children. The devil wants to destroy your life. And he will do that if you give him the opportunity. Paul said, neither give place to the devil. There are people that could have been here today that are not here. 
what they fail to understand is they've just opened the door wide for the devil. I promise you the devil will prey on your marriage, he will prey on your children, he will prey on your grandchildren, and you will lose them to a devil's hell forevermore. If you don't think it's important to be here, and you don't think it's important to be involved in the work of the church, then just come with me sometime and let's go sit down and talk to some older folks who will share with you their agonizing story of how they lost their family. And let me just be very candid and honest with you. In all probability, they're not going to get them back. They've gone too far and they've stayed too long. Don't make that same mistake. If you have a family member or a friend who is not here today, maybe they don't see the danger in it today. Sometimes it's not what you don't do today that causes the alarm, but the effects are seen much later. I would beg and plead with you, if you have a friend or family member and you know they're not here and they ought to be here and they could have been here, I want you to go home today and pick up the telephone and call them and tell them we missed you. And I want you to be very honest and straight with them and just tell them straight up, you need to be here. Why? Because your eternal soul hangs in the balances. Because you're my child or you, are, you have my grandchildren. And I want us to be together in eternity. Are you a Christian? Are you a child of God? If you're not a child of God, today is the day. There may not be a tomorrow. You may not have the opportunity to obey the gospel tomorrow because you may be in eternity for all we know. The Lord may come. Paul said, today is the day of salvation. Today is. Here's what Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. I don't know how to make it any plainer than what the Son of God said. That's not my embellishment of what he said, that's a quotation. No use in arguing with the Son of God because he has all authority, Matthew 28, 18. And God the Father said we are to hear him, Matthew 17, 5. If you haven't been baptized for the remission of your sins, I beg you to do that today. If you're here today and you're not faithful to the cause of Christ, Here's what you need to do. You need to come home. Do like the prodigal. Honestly and candidly admit, I've sinned. And I need, I need forgiveness. The Bible says, confess your sins one to another. Pray one for another. Could we pray with you and for you today as we stand and sing?